Um, so one of the things we kind of had to work through early on was like that, that weird Christian guilt about when you're discerning God's like God's call in your life. Uh, for some reason we think that like, if it's something we want to do, then it can't be from God. You know, I don't, I don't know where that comes from, but I know a lot of people, how do I know this is what I want to do? If this is what God wants me to do. And so you think it's because we rejoice in martyrdom. Yeah. I just, I think a lot of it just comes from these weird misconceptions we have, you know, that like God's this cosmic party pooper. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast. I'm excited to bring you today's conversation with Nick and Lindsay Cunningham. You might remember Lindsay, she was on episode four of the podcast, Confessions of a Pastor's Wife. In today's conversation, she brings her husband, the pastor, with her, and we talk about the new venture that they're starting called Emmaus Church. Emmaus Church is a new church plant in South Carolina, and it's really focusing on this idea of new practices. Nick and Lindsay have been dreaming and praying about this vision for so many years. In our conversation, we talk about what it means to be obedient to God's call in your life, how to operate in faith and not in fear, and how to know uh, when is the right time to move on your vision. I love our conversation. I love their heart. So many wonderful things to pull from this episode. I hope you enjoy this conversation. And if you do enjoy it, the highest compliment you can give is to share this episode with a friend, a family member, maybe somebody that just needs to hear about what God is doing in the world. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Nick and Lindsay. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast. I'm excited to be here with our first ever repeat guest. And she brought a friend, Lindsay and Nick Cunningham. How are you guys? Good. Great. Yeah. Lindsay, welcome back to the podcast in... uh, for those of you that remember, Lindsay was on episode number four, and this is episode 24, wow. uh, Confessions of the, of the Pastor's Wife, which is one of our more downloaded episodes. Uh, people love to hear her story, so it's good to have you guys back. Thanks. Yeah. And, uh, and Nick, um, you and I go way back, and, and people heard a little bit of the story in episode number four. I recommend you go back and check that out. But... Uh, Nick, why don't you kind of give everybody your background and uh, share the big news about what you guys as a couple are doing now? Yeah, so uh, I we've been in ministry for, wow, uh, probably like 12 years. Uh, Tony and I were on staff at Gingersburg in Ohio together for about what? We were there together for five years, six years? Um, it, was, it was like four. It was also amazing. It just, you know. Flew by. Yeah, flew by. Um, it was it's hard to keep track of. So uh, we had great experience there. Um, God really stirred in on my wife and I's heart uh, to start something new, start something from scratch. And so we moved to South Carolina, uh, served at a local church there for four years, um, mm-hmm. kind of relearning the area and connecting with people. And then just this past spring, we stepped out to, uh, to launch what will be Emmaus Church. Yeah, so a master, which is a new church plant, a new church plant, yes. But yes. and we're going to get into that. We're going to get into that because uh, I have lots of questions about your practices, and and I've watched some of your videos, which are excellent, by the way, on your Vimeo channel. And so, uh, but let's start with this. You yeah. knew in Ohio that you wanted to plant a church, and you guys kind of you did it as a couple. You knew where you wanted to go. I think that there are a lot of people listening right now who are trying to hear God's voice 
how did you discern that it was God speaking to you that day? And, and I happen to know the story at the mellow mushroom, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Drawn on a napkin, like every great idea ever started. Yeah. Tell us about how you knew it was God and, and how you knew when to move. Well, we, my wife and I both have a, had a natural love for South Carolina, for that, uh, for the area of Columbia where we're at. And it's where I went to school. My wife's from South Carolina. And so the whole time we were in Ohio, I think we kind of felt this like longing, mm-hmm. I guess you'd say this desire to eventually get back there. Um, so one of the things we kind of had to work through early on was like that, that weird Christian guilt about when you're discerning God's like God's call in your life. Uh, for some reason, we think that like, if it's something we want to do, then it can't be from God. You know, I don't, I don't know where that comes from, but I know a lot of people, well, how do I know this is what I want to do or if this is what God wants me to do? And so, do you think it's because we rejoice in martyrdom? Yeah. I just, I think a lot of this comes from these weird misconceptions we have, you know, that like God's this cosmic party pooper, right? <laughs> the last thing God wants is for you to have fun. Um, but we had to work through that because at the same time, the opportunities we had at Gingersburg were so great and we loved it a lot that. We knew if we were gonna if we were gonna step away from that, it had to be for like like big reasons, you know. And um, a lot of that came from just observations about about the state, the mm-hmm. state that we loved a lot. That just um, was really it, it's it's a state that's just racked with uh, disparity. I mean, uh, in about every layer of the of of society down here, there's just massive disparity. And um, but let's let's back up. You had a moment in the living room one morning mm-hmm. while we were praying through this and our next steps and God gave you this phrase mm-hmm. and that was kind of the turning point for us where we knew, okay, it's time to go. Yeah. Do you remember what it was? Oh yeah. I mean, we, yeah. Cause we were working through this whole, like what, what was I mean, it? things here are awesome, but you feel pulled down there. And so this, this just kind of clarity popped in my head. I think it was God. Um, but it just, it was something along the lines of, uh, I don't feel called to stay, but I'm really afraid to leave. Uh, I feel called to go, but I'm afraid to fail. Hmm. When that kind of like, like that coin dropped in the pocket or whatever, we just, we knew like it, we got to go. Um, now do you, do you guys, quick question, practical. Do you guys pray together like that in the morning? Was this like no. corporate marriage prayer? No, we don't. We, we've never been the couple's devotional type people. Now, Karen and I pray at night together, but yeah. uh, and we pray over each other at night. But we we can't get anything going in the morning, which is my my favorite time to pray. Well, I can't keep up with her. She reads like 90, 95 books at the same time, you know. And well, and most of the time in the mornings, we're like one eye open, one eye closed. Don't talk to me until I've had my first cup of coffee, anyways. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's no praying with each other. Yeah. No. Okay. I, I, for, as you described it, I had this like moment of like this incredible couple, like on their knees this oh, no. team in the in the living room. And it was this moment of God's voice and, but no, it wasn't. Okay. You, good. You, well, you only speak in grunts in the morning. It's like, mm, mm. that's it. That's all you get. So, that's fantastic. Yeah. But that, I mean, that was, you know, I think God gave us this, this vision for something that could happen in South Carolina that we got really excited about, but then, the, the tension of leaving this community that we also loved a whole bunch in Ohio, that was the, when that, like that popped in my head, I knew, I knew like fear is never a reason to stay where you're at and fear is never a reason to not do something else. And so that we just, we knew like, all right, this is what we got to do. We got to, um, we got to go. Mm-hmm. And so we did. And, um, 
yeah, spent four years at a ch- local church down here that I had some relationship with, and the four years were, were good. We learned a lot. Um, had a chance to, like, kind of reestablish ourselves uh, in the area and really perfectly discern what part of Columbia um, that we felt like would be the best place to start something new. And all of that kind of resolved a little over a year ago. And then, yeah, like, what, May? May. May we... Uh, stepped away from the lo- local church here and started getting things going with Emmaus. Mm-hmm. Th- that brings up a really interesting question for me about security mm-hmm. uh, because there are lots of ways to plan a church. There are, are parachute drops, which is when somebody just, you just go, kind of go into the neighborhood that you're going into. Yeah. There's being sent by a bigger church. There's all these things. You, you guys have completely separated um, even, even from the denomination that you were a part of yeah, and um, and there's a lot of reasons for that, which aren't nearly as important as this question, which is Lindsay, how did you feel about leaving that blanket of security for this huge monster? Cause you, I mean, we, we got to know you a little bit in the last episode, right? You, you value security and you're a one on the Enneagram. And so like all of these feelings is you think, okay, we're going to leave everything that you know, in stable and structure for this new kind of Morpheus church? Yeah. Uh, Originally, it was really hard for me. I think I was praying through Jesus, let us stay within the the denomination just because there was security um, financially and accountability if we stayed within the denomination. Um, But then there were just several things that were like, no, it's time to kind of break away from the denomination and do our own thing. Um, You know, I had this, uh, I don't know, I'm very reluctant and hesitant. He's a seven. So he's the like visionary, the like. That's the Enneagram language there. Oh yeah, I know we're in it, we're in it. Sure, You know, he's like, let's go jump off a plane. And I'm like, but wait, do we have um, the correct parachute? Are the buckles in place? Do we know they're working? You're like, I wanna know all these things. Who packed it and what did they have for breakfast? Exactly. And uh, I don't know. There was a moment where I did. I had definitely had several moments of freaking out. Like, you know, we're a family of five. How are we going to support our family? Um, whatever. But just seeing the community rally around us. And in fact, we, which this is, I don't, this is trying to prove my point of what I'm trying to say, but we, for Emmaus, since we're like starting from scratch, we needed kids ministry stuff, you know, because you're going to have families coming. They're going to have kids. Where, where are you going to put these kids? Where are you going to give them to play with or, you know, hold them in a crib or whatever? And uh, so we created a um, Amazon registry and we called it Emmaus family needs or baby needs or something. But really it was to span kids from zero all the way up to sixth grade. And we had 99 items on there and they were gone in 24 hours. Wow. People had purchased already. So we're like, well, that was just like our needs. Let's go ahead and put our wants on there. And so it ended up being like 170 something items. And I think like 180 something came to our house. Wow. And it was so neat because it I bet was, your, I bet your EPS guy hates you. Oh he, yeah, <laughs> for sure. But like I was sitting in our front room and I, it was filled with boxes and I'm like, okay, we aren't in control of any of this, but God's got it, Mm -hmm. you know? And that was kind of like a turning point for me. Like, 
we're going to be fine. Yeah. Maybe yeah. Nick, Nick, what about you? How's the security or, or the lack of security or the different type of security? I'm not even sure how you would describe it, but how's that, how's that felt to you in the transition? Well, I think I definitely think about it a little differently is we're so good for each other. Like I always said, if I wasn't married to Lindsay, I'd be sleeping under a bridge right now talking to myself. Like uh, <laughs> she's, she's helped to keep me grounded. But uh, I think it got to the point of where it was like, you know what, even if this fails, like we need to do it. We have to do it. We got to try. And a lot of that came from this fear that I was going to, you know, if I kept, kept like listening to all the reasons why we shouldn't do it, like I was going to eventually be 65 years old looking back going, why didn't you, why didn't you ever try? You know, and that, that just like haunted me. Like the idea of that, like, that's the last thing I wanted. Um, uh, to me, that was worse, like than not having money, you know, for, for everything. And uh, somebody was just telling me the other day about um, some interview they saw with like Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey was talking about his dad who always wanted to be an actor, hmm. but uh, never did it. Instead, he like sold insurance and he was awful at selling insurance too. And Jim Carrey said something really profound. He's like, you can fail at something you hate doing. So you might as well, like, if you're going to fail, might as well fail doing something you love, you know, like giving it a shot anyway. And I was like, that was really, really profound. And so um, that's kind of where it got to, like all the excuses that we had for not doing it just stopped working, you know, and uh, they weren't enough. And so we still don't know how we're going to make it. Tell you the truth. We're, we're yeah, that's, I think that's a good question for most of our audience. We don't even know the answer. How do, how do church planners who are going completely solo mm -hmm. make a paycheck? Uh, well, I think, first of all, you better commit to living really simply. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what, is your, what is your bare minimum needs, which is uh, something that, you know, Lindsay is uh, really disciplined me on. That sounded funny, but yeah. Um, I mean, right now, thankfully, we have money in the bank that we're, we're able to live off of for a while and we're fully prepared. You know, if I need to be bivocational, we're all about that. Um, but yeah, that's explain, explain what, what does that mean? And what does it mean to raise support? Yeah. And cause I'm imagining that a lot of people who are listening aren't really familiar. This church planning world is different. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you first, you know, you, you, you share your vision uh, for what the church is going to be about and how it's going to function with people who know you. Um, who believe in you and, and who are willing to invest in it, even if they may never attend it. And so, you know, we've had some people um, contribute. Uh, we did a, they did a love offering at the last church we were at, which was, you know, we were grateful for that. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, we had this little window of time. And so we just started having these informational gatherings in our home for people who are interested. And I think we did like 10 of them or something. At least. And we invited those people already to begin contributing to the church, um, you know, investing in it financially and people have been, which has been really cool. And so the nice thing is everybody involves volunteer right now. So <laughs> nobody's getting paid anything. We're just able to collect money right. that after the first of the year may need to begin tapping into that for, for various reasons. But right now it's like, we're just trying to build that up as much as we can um, and continue to kind of gather that core group of folks in in the american culture one of the things that's really hard is asking for help has this um how has asking for help from so many people changed the way you see god yeah huh the first thing i thought of was like it's like Lindsay's always giving me a hard time about uh i'm not good at promoting 
I guess self-promotion. You know, I wrote two books and I never talked about them and I always bothered her. She's like, why are you going to write a book and never talk about it? And you're right. There is this weird uh, American like um, pride, you know, I think sometimes in, and even when you're talking to people about a book, I almost feel like, hey, do me a favor and read my book. You know, like, right. um, I haven't felt an ounce of that when it comes to Emmaus. Like, I believe in this. So I believe that it's needed. Um, like, this, this type of community is so needed that, that that's just gone. Like, that weird kind of um, embarrassment, you know, I guess, uh, just isn't there, you know. And I haven't felt it. But you're right, though. I think – we, you know, we live in a culture that's, you know, we love independence and strength looks like independence. Like you don't need anybody. And I think yeah. that keeps us a lot of times from asking for help, but I think humility is a good thing. Um, so has it changed the way you view God? I think, I think I've always had this view of God. I think for me, it's more about like my own insecurities, hmm. you know, like, um, I think I've struggled with people have a hard time believing this, but I'm a super insecure person. You can ask my wife that mm-hmm. um, for me, it's more, more believing in like uh, you've got something here worth believing in and worth investing in. I think I'm growing in my confidence of that um, and growing in God's confidence in me, I guess uh, is what I would start starting to believe things that other people believed about me a long time ago. You're one of them. Tony. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I, I do believe a lot in you. And I am with Lindsay that you should have advertised your book more. <laughs> Lindsay, uh, what about you? How how's this process of, of asking for help change the way you see God? Um, I don't, I don't know that it's really, I don't know. That's a good question because I haven't really thought on it that much, but I don't know that it's changed it in any way. I've just always, um, been brought up to think that like you know whatever need you have like take it to him and by some way or some person or somehow it'll be provided um you grew up that way I did I I grew up we were a simple family low income like never was really a ton of money in the bank but we always had our needs met and I think um that's just how I've always seen it or Mm -hmm. viewed it you know some of the challenges you know even with your brother and his health when he was younger. I mean, you guys saw miracle after miracle. Yeah. Even with that. Yeah. Like I've, I've never been one to really, I've always taken what I've known to be true about God at face value. I've never like truly doubted. I don't think that he can't provide or that he can't heal or that any of those things. I mean, sure. I, I have anxiety around some of, some of it and, you know, want to take it into my own hands and try to control the mm-hmm. situation. But at the end of the day, it's like, I don't doubt that he's not going to come through. Do do you think dependence um, on God for, for things or um, is is a discipline or how do you guys view dependence as a, as a practice? You know, I think in some levels, there's just things that we have, we have different dispositions towards as people like, like for some people, they have a, a disposition that allows them to trust more. Um, that's one of the things I like Lindsay and I, our, our relationship is she doesn't really ask a lot of the questions that I ask, like um, about things. She doesn't, she doesn't get stressed out about stuff I get stressed out about and vice versa. Does that make sense? Like, oh, um, yeah. And we're very different that way. And I think people are just, so some people are going to, you know, 
struggle with dependence more than others. If that makes sense. Um, I don't think it makes anybody better than anybody else. It's just uh, for some folks, it's a little harder than others. Um, I think we both grew up in homes though, where we kind of learned uh, early on, like you can't always just have what you want, you know, like uh, you can't just go buy what you want when you want it. Like there was this, I think we both grew up embracing more simplicity. Um, I guess you would say, which is great training ground for planning a church, you know? <laughs> Amen. Right. Yeah. I, you know, one of the interesting things that I keep hearing from your guys's conversation over and over again is the need for a church like this. So allow me to be the cynical Christian for just a moment yeah. and, and say that, especially South of the Mason Dixon line, you can't um, turn a corner without hitting a church. And so what makes the need for Emmaus so real compared to all of the other churches out there? You don't want to go first? No, that's you. That's your tagline. Oh, um, well, it's funny, but I have Lindsay in the back of my head because Tony, I mean, you know her, like talking to her about playing a church for the longest time, she just major eye roll. You know, just like, oh, gosh, so we're going to go find a movie theater and we're going to, you know, have have our music and our lights and just try to be cooler than everybody else. And she just couldn't buy into that, you know, and honestly, I, I couldn't either. Like there was this the same similar feeling of like, does the world really need another church? And then sometimes just that attitude that church planners can have, you know, of like all these other churches are so they don't have they're so backwards and messed up. But we got the secret sauce, you know, right. like, um <laughs> And then the, the way sometimes they roll into communities is like this community is so broken and messed up and we're here to fix it. And we both felt this resistance to that the whole time. Um, I think the, some of this, maybe it's selfish, but has been like birthed out of this desire to kind of have the, have a sort of church where honestly, where I felt comfortable. Hmm. Um, I'm Tell a me more about that. Well, I'm a natural skeptic. And I told you that's one of the ways Lindsay and I are so different. Um, I can't help it. I doubt things all like my initial response to anything is to doubt it. And which is an interesting um, condition, I guess, when you're a pastor uh, and I've, I've had lots of questions about things, whether it's the Bible, God, whatever. And, and in some, I've been in some places, you know, where there's more room, room for that stuff than others. But for the most part, I've interacted with all these people who have an openness to God and faith, but who feel like that the last thing they're allowed to do is ask questions. Um, and even right now, the environment, a lot of churches, there's like, like this fervor about certainty, you know, like you gotta be certain, whatever it is, you gotta be certain about it. And I think it, there's a lot of us who are just looking for a little more room to breathe than that. And so, um, that, that's really kind of like one of the, the big part of the heart and soul of this church is we just, we want to create a place where it's normal to ask questions, where, um, there's room to breathe. Rachel, Rachel Hudd Evans has a line in her book, Searching for Sunday, that just nailed it. She said, she asked the question, imagine if a church was a place where everybody felt, felt safe, but nobody was comfortable. Mm. And that like scratches the itch for us big time. So especially in the South, you know, uh, people, and we did the same thing coming down here. You have a lot of assumptions about what Southerners are like. And you get down here and it's a bunch of people trying to fit into communities that, that they all feel like they're actually outsiders on um, because they've got questions. They think they're the only ones asking them. Uh, and then you got a lot of people who dismiss themselves from the church because they 
they they have a hard time believing God made the world in one week. Sure. They think that means, well, I can't be a part of the church. It's like, well, no, like people have been wrestling and asking that question for a long time. Let's ask it together, you know, and um, it's really, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a church for people who um, sometimes feel like you're hanging on by a thread, you know, and we're going to be honest about that, I guess. Does that make sense? It does. It, it brings up the question, um, what do you do with that honesty? Mm-hmm. Okay, so now that it's out there and we're all, you know, it's kind of like it's out there and we're all just kind of staring at it. Yep. Um, you know, I've, I've heard you talk a little bit about be a church of, of practices. Mm-hmm. What, what, is that, what does that mean in context? Yeah. Um, well, I think it's, it's about uh, being unified around what you've committed to do. And so I was thinking about this the other day, like you go to, you go to a lot of church websites and you'll find all these articulated beliefs about, let's just take the Bible for, this is what we believe about the Bible. Hmm. Um, I have a hard time believing that every single person in that church would say they believe with, they, they agree with every single one of those statements about the Bible. Um, but instead, like I had to decide, what if we could agree to an approach to the Bible? Like, what if we could agree that we all are going to read, wrestle with, ask questions about the scriptures, and then seek to apply them. Like, what if that's what we are unified around? Not, we believe the Bible is inerrant, infallible. Like all those, does that make sense? All those, sure. yeah. I think it just, it, when you're unified around beliefs about things, then I think some people think that all they have to do is agree with those beliefs, and they're in. Um, I think when you unify around practices, it's, it's what you do. Um, and then there's room for people to be in community that might disagree. You know, like we might disagree on beliefs about the Bible, but what we all agree, have agreed about is what we're going to do with it. You know, um, if that makes sense. It does. It does. I, I, it brings a question as I think about Lindsay's personality a little bit. It seems to be a little bit more black and white and it feels like this is a whole lot of gray. And Lindsay, you grew up, as you mentioned, in a home that's full of dependence on God and it's kind of like really simple. How does, how does all this, how does wading into all this ambiguity make you feel? Um, if you would have asked me this question maybe six months, no, probably a year ago or more, I would have been like, oh, it's, it's still black and white for me. Um, and I don't know if it's the magical age of 34 now, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I feel like there's the more life I live, the more gray there is. Hmm. Even though I think my personality is to tend towards like, or like bend towards black and white. Um, The more life experiences, the more people that I get to know, it's gray. And so I'm actually excited about welcoming that. I think my check is going to be um, within myself is not to rule that person or that person out because they don't believe the same way I do. Does that make sense? More of like mm-hmm. it being a practice of what we're talking about coming around as a man's church versus you have to believe this in order to belong. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah. no, it's, it's perfect because I, I think the natural reaction, especially if you've been in a church for a really long time is, well, then what's right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Like that kind of, um, and I've heard you describe it as kind of a, a open handed. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our, you know, our, our number, our first practice, which is really kind of, in my opinion, the practice that makes 
maybe maybe makes some makes a little unique something we're calling open-handed conviction and i always start by talking about conviction uh first because conviction is about living life on purpose with intentionality uh our convictions often cause us to like push against appetites and desires and impulses uh because often what we want to do isn't always the best thing that's what conviction conviction acknowledges all of that you know that it's not just anything goes no like there are things in life that are more life-giving. There are, there are healthier decisions than others, right? And so having conviction is super important if you're gonna live life well. But at the same time, we found that like, the healthiest way to hold a conviction was with an open hand. Because um, if you're a growing person, then you've probably changed your mind about big things over the last five, 10, 15 years, right? Right. Um, and if you're gonna continue to grow, you're gonna have to keep doing that. Uh, I don't think anybody and there hopefully nobody's walking around going, I have got this all figured out, Amen. you know? Right. Um, and it's and even in the gospels, you look at the people who had the hardest time with Jesus. They weren't the people with the questions and the doubts. They were the people who thought they already had the answers and Jesus didn't fit any of those things, you know? Mm. And I think of Peter on the roof and Acts, you know, and God shares with them this crazy vision, letting down a sheet, tells them to get up and eat all these unclean animals that, his, his tradition has been telling him his whole life, you don't eat this stuff. And here's God telling him, get up and eat it. And like Peter tells him no. <laughs> like Peter tells God no three times out of religious conviction. That's really ironic, you know? And so I think uh, if we are not people who are open to having our minds change, we miss all sorts of opportunities to actually encounter God, you know, uh, to grow in our uh, faith, grow, grow in any, any direction. So we want to be people who... Uh, and, and I want to say this, sorry, I'm talking a lot. Um, in my experience, people who have, ask questions about faith, this isn't all the time. Sometimes people like to question their faith to try to like justify something they want to do, but they feel bad about it. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> I mean, a youth pastor and like a high school boy would come to me and be like, I'm just kind of questioning my faith right now. And the first question I want to ask is, well, how long have you been sleeping with your girlfriend? Right. <laughs> right. You're not questioning your, you just don't want to feel bad about that. Like that, that's yeah. one category. But in my experience, most people who have what you might call a crisis of faith, or even what I often feel like where I'm questioning some things, it's not coming from this desire to get away from conviction. It's actually a desire to be, to be faithful to your conviction. So for a lot of my questions about the Bible actually flow out of what might be the most Christian conviction you can have which is that God looks like Jesus, hmm. right? I mean, isn't that like the, the belief? Yeah. You had to boil it down to, is like, we believe the God behind all of this looks like Jesus and specifically Jesus on the cross. Like that's the fullness of God, right? So that's your number one conviction. There are some things that, that all of a sudden become troubling for me, particularly in the Bible. You know, you read through the book of Joshua and it's like, God's telling them to kill everybody. And you're like, sure. wait a minute. Jesus on the cross is that telling God to forgive everybody. The people that are crucifying him, he's, he's asking God to forgive them. How do you reconcile that with God and Joshua telling them to kill everybody? So people who start asking questions about the Bible, they're not asking questions to like dismiss it. They're asking questions because my core conviction is hard to stay faithful to that when this is there too. Does that, does that make sense? It so does. It does. How do you how do you guys envision Emmaus 
um, putting this into practice? Because, I mean, are you talking like traditional Sunday morning or is this going to be more like a Q&A Sunday morning? Yeah, I think dialogue has to play a huge part if, in open-handed conviction. Dialogue is, is the like practice um, because I think it, it gives us a chance to hear from other people um, and give a chance for people to share their perspectives. And so, so are you still going to preach? Yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're kind of toying with some things right now with this Bible study that we have going on. We're just kind of like tinkering with stuff. And what I've realized is there's, and I know you have some interesting opinions on this. It'd be fun to talk about. Um, I think there's still a need for a word. Like, yeah. someone's got to give a word to stir some things up, uh, to kind of move some people. But then, yeah, there's conversation and dialogue um, and testimony. You know, like, testimony is one of those things you know, what, 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 think, think about what's changed your mind the most on some big stuff. It's probably getting to know somebody else, uh, and hearing their story and how maybe you always thought it was like this, but then you met this person and you heard their story and you uh, saw their experience. And you're like, wait, maybe it's not like this. You know, maybe it is a little different. And so I think dialogue, uh, and witness and testimony is like crucial for this practice, you know? And so I think our worship services will somehow involve that where there is interaction from the congregation, um, there's a chance for there to be conversation, but then you even look for opportunities to turn the sermon into maybe it's like like an interview, like a podcast style, you know, you bring people on stage and you talk about it. Um, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. And I I think that there's a ton of value in, and wrestling with all of that, I, you know, I see more and more the idea of dinner church or some sort of dialogue, or, I mean, obviously, you know how passionate I am about disciple making. What is, you know, what does that look like in a Sunday morning kind of experience? Mm-hmm. Uh, Lindsay, heading into this next season, what, I mean, what's your role in all this? You're the first lady of a church now. Congratulations. Uh, it, I, so what are you doing? What's it look like for you? Right now? Well, I'm just going to say God has a sense of humor. Um, I have always, always said you will never, ever, ever, ever find me in children's ministry. Right. Not my thing. I love my kids. I love my friend's kids. But at the end of the day, like, I need space because I'm with kids all day, you know? Um, She doesn't like anybody else. (laughs) If you're listening and your kids are in the kids' ministry, I do love them. Um, (laughs) But, you know, we had a need. We needed volunteers for the kids' ministry. And I told Nick, I was like, listen, I will help out in kids ministry for as long as you need me. And as long as it won't be forever, but never, ever, ever question my love for you again, because I'm about to head in to birth to two years old with these kids. Mm -hmm. And I've been there for the past three weeks. (laughs) Yeah. And no kids have been harmed at all. (laughs) And I had criers the first Sunday. Like, they would not stop crying. I was like, oh, my gosh. At the same time, I've seen, um, I'd say over the last couple of years, is about you waking up to your influence, though. Yeah. I mean, she's one of the most reluctant people I've ever met in my life. And, like, it's like she's never considered that she might – have influence you know and um of course those are the kind of people that usually have the most influence right um i think she's been waking up to that you know and realizing she doesn't have to understand it but for some reason um people are drawn to her and 
she, she has a way of being able to speak life into people and develop them. And it's really neat because I think she started to notice that when she looks back on her life, she, she can see evidence of that, you know, is that there are people you've really poured into. So it's been really cool for me to watch her pastor's heart. She's a, she has a pastor's heart. Like already she's connecting like women uh, in the congregation. Uh, she's connecting them to each other and she's playing a role in that. And she's caring about that. And she's noticing it. So it's been really cool to see that wake up in her too. Well, Lindsay, if it makes you feel any better, our children's ministry person really doesn't like kids either. <laughs> it's, it's actually why we hired her because we really believe that the church's job is to disciple parents, not Amen. kids. Yeah. Amen. And sure. so, um, so I, I would tell you to lean into your dislike for kids mm-hmm. so that those parents can learn how to disciple the next generation. I think it's great. support group or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, Okay, so uh, I, a year from now, wh- so what's the plan for launching this church? Bobby, is January, are you guys? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll just be really transparent. This, uh, the transition happened way faster than we thought it would. As is often the case. Yeah, yeah. so it was like, we didn't really have a whole lot of time to, to plan. We were just really transparent with the church that we were a part of and said, hey, we're ready to start moving in that direction. And then it just kind of happened really fast. And so we've been sort of scrambling I and mean, we started really, we didn't start until July publicly. Okay. Yeah. August. August. Mm-hmm. First of August. First of August, I guess. When, but when we started doing those meetings in the home, end of July, early August. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we, we right now are just trying to gather this core. We have, a, we have a great core launch team that are like on board already. And so we have a Sunday night Bible study that they're coming to. And we're uh, in the school that we're hopefully going to be having worship in too. And so it gives us a chance to kind of learn the space. Um, a little, and, little practice. Yeah, it's like a soft launch. You know, it's like a big, long, soft launch. And so we're still missing a few key people on the bus. We need a worship leader. So if anybody's listening and you like to lead worship. Um, and you like South Carolina. Yeah, it's nice and warm down here. And uh, sweet tea's everywhere. It just flows all over the place. Hook, like, look me up. Um, okay, so we'll link to Emmaus in the show notes. And if you're a worship leader and you want to be in South Carolina where the sweet tea flows like honey yeah. and it's warm 11 months out of the year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we will definitely get you connected to that. So l- let me ask you this. And I, um, I, how do we know a year from the, the official launch of Emmaus that it's been a successful launch? Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I think I want to speak to that because it's something I've been wrestling with. Um, and Tony, maybe you can understand this too. Like the, the 10 years that we've been in ministry together, all we've ever known is mega church. Hmm. Uh, you know, we came from a church that had 5,000 members and we went to another church that had 2,500 members. And so um, how do mega churches measure success by metrics, by how many people's rear ends are in the seats, right? So the first year for us, we were talking about this the other night, like what's going to be our hardest struggle is not logistics. It's not even finding a worship leader or all those key people it's going to be wrestling our mega church demons. Um, and what I mean by that is measuring what success looks like mm. and not using our normal metric system of the number of people, but actually are we going deep? 
Like, are we allowing these people, whether it's 50 or 100, um, to come with their questions and their doubts and their skepticism and everything in between and allowing them to be fully present and to be fully themselves and not trying to box them in, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I think success, that's what, that's, that's what it's going to look like for us. Mm -hmm. Not numbers, but how deep did we go with the people that showed up and were we faithful with those that were there? Yeah, I mean, we've already seen some really cool things happen. I mean, our first Bible study, I had a girl tell me that was the first time she ever opened a Bible and she goes, and my fingers didn't burn off, you know, which I thought was, was great. Um, I think I would see being, seeing people really enter into authentic relationships. Um, mm -hmm. That's huge. Uh, developing a, a sense of trust from the community. We're in a, we're in a community where I think there is a lot of distrust. Wow. Um, to be honest, distrust towards white people. And I think distrust towards the church. And so if we can somehow develop just a better relationship with the community in the school, um, that would be a huge success. Yeah. Um, I'd love for us to be sustainable in a year where, you know, we don't want to be worried about numbers, but I'd like to have enough people where we could support a small staff, you know, and then um, that would be great, you know, where we're able to hire a few folks. Mm -hmm. So it could all be, could all be game changers, right? I know it took us, uh, it took us five years before we started, before we stopped counting attendance as a metrics of success. Yeah. You have to. Uh, yeah. And, and well, and uh, the reality is, is, you know, we weren't able to create the culture from scratch. So we were kind of turning a ship Yeah, that was, it's, it's a little different than a church plant, but uh, certainly church planning comes with its own set yes. of, yep. uh, set of, stuff what what are you most looking forward to about this next season of ministry uh individually and as a couple hmm. you know i think individually for me this is something i've just become aware of so i'm probably not going to say it right but actually finding my voice mm -hmm. like my voice um when it comes to preaching communicating whatever um I've been in some awesome places. I've learned a lot and I feel like I've been poured into and developed, but I've also been in places where I feel like I've kind of had to like speak or say in a, in a kind of like a certain, what's the right word? You kind of have to hem it in a little bit, you know, like you have to translate yourself into that context because it's somebody else's thing. It's somebody else's pulpit, somebody else's church, which is great. And I think I'm really eager to see what happens when like, I don't have to do that anymore. And I can just start. I'm kind of excited about that. That got me a little excited. I mean, cause I, you're one of my favorite preachers, Nick Cunningham. I'm telling you, I'm excited to hear what happens when you go unchained, but I don't even know who that is yet. You know, so I'm like trying to figure that out, but, um, I think that's going to be fun. Lindsay, what about you? What are you most looking forward to individually? Um, you know, one of the things that we kind of heard over and over from just the people that expressed interest in wanting to be a part of the church, attend the church is that is just, all the ways that the churches hurt them, mm. um, which it's a reality, you know, like we've been hurt by the church. We've done the hurt, you know, sure. been on the end of, you know, dishing out the hurt, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And so I think just seeing people um, find a place that is a refuge for them. Oftentimes I think church is more of a place to show up and a place where you have to perform in order to fit in or you have to be the certain person. And I don't think that we're allowed to actually show our true selves or our true colors 
when it comes to church. And so just being able to offer a place of refuge for people um, excites me. Mm-hmm. And what about for you guys as a couple? Hmm. It's definitely going to stretch us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, already, you know, like we said, the, the transition was very abrupt for us. And so it, he went from being gone Monday through Friday in the office because pastors actually have office hours, believe it or not. And they don't, you know, it's just Sunday morning. Um, you know, from Monday through Friday to, Oh, he's home every single day. Ooh, that's a lot. That's a lot. Like that was a big transition and a big change for us. And it still is. We're trying to still figure out our new normal, but, uh, it's definitely mm-hmm. stretched us. I mean, I, I honestly think though that we're really great for one another, especially mm-hmm. as it pertains to this. Like I give it to him. He gives it right back to me. Like I'm not just the submissive person who mm-hmm. will take it. Like yeah. he's got his hands full yeah. to be quite honest. Right back at you. <laughs> um, no, but I think, you know, to say I've always felt like the core of our marriage has been this, um, like this fondness for each other and like a uh, what's the better word? Like I'm impressed by her, you know, like um, I am, I admire her. Like I actually admire, like I look at the, like the way she, every morning she's in her blue chair, you know, spending time with God and just the discipline. Well, the discipline, but I, so I think that that's been like, so what's fun is in this, I think this season is only for me, it's only like really work to encourage that or like even fuel that more. I've watched her lean into hard things and do things she's never done before and have like actually have conversations with people where I I can tell she's super uncomfortable, but she's doing it anyway. So anything, it's just growing my like, like admiration for her. But I think as a family, we've already seen uh, somebody said something to me early on that just kind of ticked me off. And there's like, you got to think about your kids, Nick. Like how could you, you got three kids and you're going to do that. Kind of like this. I wasn't being a good parent, you know? Um, I remember saying to them, I was like, you know, providing for your kids is about way more than just making sure all their material needs are met. Like providing for my kids is about inviting them into something bigger than them, you know, and giving them a, giving them a real Jesus worldview and it's happening. Like our kids are young, but they are all in. And it's been really neat to see how excited they've gotten and how they've owned it. Um, they're praying all the time and it's just, and people are like, well, they're pastor's kids. Cause you're, you know, we're forcing it down their throat. We're not like, uh, there's just a sort of openness to it. And it's been really cool to see that. Mm-hmm. You agree? Yeah. Yeah. That's so awesome. Okay. So, uh, two questions left. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one is, is if somebody wants to follow this journey and support Emmaus, uh, where can they go to find you guys? What's, what's, where are you guys at on all the interwebs? Yeah, we are on Facebook. Um, and Instagram are, uh, I guess your handle, what do you call it? Your handle. Yes. You're the social media yes. guy, Tony. Emmaus Church. Uh, Underscore. SC. SC. South Carolina. So Got it. You find us there. We're in the process of getting a website um, off the ground, but we are on Facebook and Instagram right now. Uh, there's links to a push pay if you do want to give, and we'd love for you to give, especially <laughs> sure. if you're loaded. Um, just kidding. Not really, but yeah. So yeah, if God moves you that way, it's certainly that would, it's a yeah, opportunity. A couple things to do with money. Um, yeah, that'd be the primary way of getting in touch with us is 
through Instagram or Facebook right now. Are you going to change your, uh, are you going to change your Instagram to confessions of uh, church planner's wife? Nah. Nah. Stick with what's working. Yeah. Okay. Last question. And probably the most important is that uh, there's probably going to be lots of people who are listening to this podcast. Uh, how can they pray for you and for Emmaus? Yeah. Two things that pop in my head. Um, the things that give me the most anxiety right now. Uh, number one is we are missing a few key players, you know, on the bus. And I just, I feel like God's going to bring those people you know, to us. And so I just, just pray for that, that we, that we do find the right people. And then the other one, the other thing is just favor in this community mm-hmm. in the actual community that we're in. Um, I was there this morning at a PTO, uh, we did a book drive and I was there collecting books and just interacting with parents and stuff. And I just sense this, like there is a little bit of a distrust towards the church, you know, and I would love to, for there to be a good relationship there just for favor. I think for me, selfishly, um, just pray for us, uh, just that, you know, anytime you're going out and doing something that's needed or necessary, you're always going to come up against opposition from the evil one because he doesn't want you to do these things. Um, so just pray for, uh, one, just protection around our family and especially around like, uh, the people who are all in and they want to be a part of this. Um, while we might be used to some of the opposition, this might be new for them, you know? Um, and just that we don't grow weary in doing good because that's very easy, especially in church planning because it's a lot of moving parts and a lot of things to think about. And some days you're like, is this even worth it? Yeah, mm-hmm. I said it, you know, like, and so just not growing weary. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I think we can certainly pray for all of those things and we're rooting for you and we're pulling for you. And I know that uh, so many people here in Ohio and around the United States care deeply for what God's going to do in and through you guys. We love you, Dayton. You guys rock. So thank you so much. And uh, hey, let's, let's do this again. How about that? And we can hear yeah. about how yeah. awesome and tell everybody what, what God's doing out of mass. Well, okay. I love it. Thanks for having us, Tony. Wasn't that an incredible conversation with Nick and Lindsay? I love the way they tell the story about how they waited and waited for God's timing to be perfect for this dream to come to fruition. I think it's a lesson for all of us. If you could do me a favor and go and tell Nick and Lindsay how much you appreciated hearing them on the Reclamation Podcast. Also, please join me in praying for them and the movement that God is going to do in and through them at Emmaus Church. Follow them on all the social media so you can stay up to date. And from me to you, thank you so much for sharing and being part of this journey. I would love to hear your feedback. You can always uh, send me that feedback over the social media channels, Instagram, Facebook, and on my website at TWMILT, at TWMILT. Until next time, see you guys real soon.